But you've been, I remember when you first came on with me, you had most of the counties in eastern North Carolina, and I think you have just about exactly half of the state now. Yes, exactly. I, um, my team and I, our volunteers and all, uh, support our partners and deliver direct services in 53 counties of uh, North Carolina, basically from uh, uh, Chapel Hill, Carborough, all the way to the coast into the Virginia and South Carolina uh, border. And so that's our areas of responsibility, lots of uh, coastline, lots of hospitals, lots of uh, people. Over 4.3 million people now live in that part of the state uh, that we oversee and lots of responsibilities. But it's great to be able to be a part of an organization that does uh, deliver the mission of preventing alleviating human suffering in emergencies. And, you know, Tom, you talked a little bit about history. Is, okay, uh, let me go back and ask you one question before we do that, okay? Sure. Something I left out. Is that all right? Yeah, go um, ahead. Sure. You, were, you were already involved. Let's just say the hurricane season was not going to happen. Uh, you were already involved in some way, the, 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 the Red Cross was, in dealing with the, the, the tragedy of the coronavirus uh, spread throughout the United States. Could you talk about that just for a minute, how, how it had changed your, your plan and your model and what you were doing already? Sure, yeah. So an excellent example. Of course, the first concern for everyone when uh, the coronavirus really became uh, evident and clear in our lives, it was a threat uh, to uh, Americans and to our way of life, was the Red Cross also took steps to um, make it safe for our volunteers to deliver the mission and for our paid and volunteer staff to uh, help impact lives. And as an example, you know, we've been talking about emergencies. The Red Cross prevents uh, and alleviates human suffering in emergencies. And just because of coronavirus, other emergencies didn't stop. Uh, the need for blood continued. The, so we have had to change our ability to con, uh, collect blood from a uh, standpoint of it's always been safe to donate from a, a sterilization of your arm and things of that nature. But we're you know, the social distancing rules. How do you manage that? How do you clean and disinfect? How do you wear masks? How do we require our uh, volunteers to wear masks and our donors, when they come to the blood donor site, to also be wearing a mask? Because we're just trying to make it as safe as possible in that line of service because the blood uh, must be collected for hospitals. They were still needing blood for other emergencies, other treatments that were going on. So we took those steps as an example. Uh, uh, at a blood drive, you couldn't, you can't enter the blood drive without having your temperature taken and asking you a series of basically four questions. If your temperature is too high, you're deferred uh, from even entering the facility where we're going to collect blood. I stood outside at uh, the Dean Dome this morning for our blood drive there, Tom, at 7 a.m. taking temperatures of uh, volunteers, staff, and donors who were coming to um, donate blood there. So that really practicing social distancing, new PPE, I call it, you know, everybody refers to that term, personal protective equipment. And then what I also refer to as PPB, personal protective behavior. If you don't change the buzz, if you don't wipe things down, if you don't put your mask on properly and wear it above your nose, you're still putting other people at risk. So we did that. Then we talked about going to these fires, right? How do you go to a fire? Uh, everybody's lost things. Uh, the fire department's there and uh, asking us to start meeting with the family. So we've used the idea of technology, of handing them, uh, you know, a phone in a bag that's been sterilized and then calling them on the phone if their cell phones aren't working. Lots of ways to and do remote casework. 
and still get the family into a hotel uh, and, you know, getting them shelter, all kinds of new ways to think about serving our um, uh, disaster clients. And then, of course, our military family members, we still have volunteers going to Fort Bragg, to Womack Hospital, some new special volunteers that stepped up in pharmacy and medicine and others who are volunteering the Red Cross to help vet the hospital with patient care. Uh, just a number of new ways to do things and still deliver the mission as a humanitarian volunteer organization to make it in our community every day, COVID-19 or no COVID-19. Well, I know that uh, any time that the normal routine of life is uh, unsettled, which occurs routinely, I guess, uh, at Christmas and holidays and things, uh, it disturbs, the, for instance, the collection of blood. And I think yes. the Red Cross provides about 45% of the blood. Or so. I think that number is about Yeah, right. about 45% nationwide of, the, uh, of all blood products come from the American Red Cross. So the coronavirus thing must have upset that uh, uh, oh, because... Oh, yes, thank you completely. for reminding me of that. Uh, about, uh, Tom, about 22 to 25% of all blood donations come from high schools, students 16 and older, and college and university students. And what happened, what did the um, schools and universities do in March and April and early May when we would have been having blood drives on those campuses? Everybody went home. Everybody went home. And so now you've got to put on additional blood drives and get people to come to you when we also had a government uh, issuing stay-at-home orders. So. Here in North Carolina, worked diligently with the administration uh, to make sure that it was clear that the uh, act of giving blood was an essential act and that folks should feel comfortable to go and do uh, blood donation and the, that was an approved essential behavior by the community. And so much so, Tom, the first lady, Mrs. Cooper, actually came and donated blood herself in early April and then uh, testified to folks it was her first donation that this was a um, a safe thing to do, and she uh, went through the practice uh, of wearing her mask, going through the system, working with the staff and volunteers present, and had a great experience uh, and uh, was showing very clearly by leading uh, to folks that it was a, it's a safe practice to do. We have had tremendous turnout, but what we see happening now is uh, back in March and April and early May, hospitals slowed down the use for blood because they were saving hospital beds for COVID patients. Now, uh, as hospitals open back up and accept other patients, the demand for blood is right back up to where it was uh, in February at a very high uh, level. And so now we're right back into the challenge of having enough drives and getting enough donors when demand is going up. So North Carolinians have been great responding, getting opportunities to be on uh, uh, television, radio shows like this one, uh, getting PSAs from Curtis Media uh, has really been a help to keep the blood donor supply going because every two seconds in America, somebody gets a blood transfusion. I interrupted you here about five or eight minutes ago when you were about to talk about some history. 
and then I'm going to give you some time to recall what, what, what you were going to go into then as we take a break. It's about 9.18 on News Radio 680 WBTF. We're talking with Barry Porter, the I think it probably would be right to say the executive director of the Eastern North Carolina branch of the uh, American Red Cross. And uh, how, uh, what's going on in the world has changed the way they have to do things. And, of course, beginning... Right about here and running through the fall, we have uh, a, a big time usually for organization, uh, uh, an organization like the American Red Cross, and that is the, the hurricane season. And so we're going to get to that eventually, too. Barry, hold on. We'll be back in just about two or three minutes. Tom Kearney on WPTF. How about that? 98.5 for... Uh, Go listen to WPTF on the FM band. Be sure to set your button on the FM side for that and leave the one on the AM side on AM 680. Barry Porter of the American Red Cross, our guest tonight. Barry was about to talk about a little history. I hope he remembers because we led him away from that topic. But, Barry, if you can remember, we'll, we'll re-enter the program right there. Sure, absolutely, Tom. And, it was, and it's really about what helped the Red Cross to grow tremendously in terms of um, its presence in the United States from... Uh, and it was really the the first world war, and then the pandemic, known as the 1917-1918 flu pandemic, uh, maybe sometimes referred to the Spanish flu and others, uh, things that happened in 1917-1918, tremendous impact around the world. Just like COVID-19, uh, volunteers uh, gathered in a very different uh, way and helped to create masks and to provide uh, support. Uh, and so it's just a, a reminder that here we are, roughly 100 years later, have another pandemic, and the American Red Cross uh, still a vital part of the community's response uh, to uh, to this virus, uh, and it's still supporting um, the uh, mission it does every day and making an impact. Uh, so I just thought it was unique to, to remind ourselves where Americans came together under the Red Cross emblem 100 years ago to make a an impact, and we see citizens of all races, uh, all genders, uh, all political affiliations under the neutral, impartial Red Cross emblem coming together to make a difference with blood donations, supporting us with financial support, and helping us to deliver the, the mission, uh, including a new outreach uh, called Convalescent Plasma. Have you heard of it? No, this is something new tonight. So let's let's hear the story. Convalescent plasma is that is that right? Yeah, you got it right. And so as, as uh, we talk about, you know, most folks think about the American Red Cross as a blood collection agency. We didn't collect blood uh, until World War II, when it was led by African American uh, uh, world-renowned physician Dr. Uh, Charles Drew, and he led the Red Cross efforts to collect blood. And he was the one who did. Uh, discovered that you could separate plasma, the basically a 95% water portion with nutrients and proteins and um, uh, amino acids in it from the red cells. And the red cells could be stored separately and the plasma could be used on the battlefield during World War II. Well, here he is, um, 70 years later, his idea of separating plasma uh, over the course of history uh, since then uh, other diseases have been treated because when you get an illness, your body has a um, response and creates antibodies. So we know that from the COVID virus infection, there was COVID-19, that people are producing antibodies, and it's 
suspended in their plasma. So um, the FDA uh, on March 24th came to the American Red Cross, the nation's largest provider of blood products on a nationwide scale as well, from coast to coast, asked us to help lead the industry effort to set up a uh, program to collect plasma from fully recovered COVID-19 patients. There's, uh, um, you know, uh, victims or patients, that, you know, the people who've gotten in the hospital, been diagnosed, formally diagnosed, recovered, were asymptomatic, and then come in and start donating plasma to be transfused to very critically ill uh, patients suffering from the COVID-19 infection. So we started that. We've now distributed over uh, 7,000 of those products, uh, and the uh, impact has been significant for some of the patients fully recovering uh, because they're getting antibodies from that plasma uh, that we know these antibodies have been in there. We've done this for uh, other foods a couple of times, but nothing to this scale because of the, uh, the size and scope of this pandemic. And so the Red Cross uh, was asked by the FDA to lead this. We're helping to do it. Uh, the other uh, blood collection agencies across America are instilling the same process. We're looking for people who fully recovered from uh, COVID-19 to be donors. Uh, they can go, you can go to redcrossblood.org and find out more about convalescent plasma. And if you've been exposed uh, to the illness, you could possibly be a plasma donor. You have to, it's just the same requirements as being a regular donor. You have to meet all the same requirements, have to be healthy at the moment uh, and recovered from COVID-19. And then it's a little bit longer process, Tom, because you're going to donate from one arm. Your plasma is going to go through a high, your blood is going to go through a high-tech machine. The plasma is going to be separated out in your red cells, platelets, and some saline will be returned in the other arm. So it's a longer process uh, than normal, uh, but it is proving to be an effective treatment. It's not a cure but an effective treatment for people with severe cases of COVID uh, and some real uh, positive stories on the lives that have been saved because people have come in and donated this plasma. Well, let me say that it was, you mentioned World War One, and I think it was World War One that the American Red Cross really got ginned up. It had existed in the United States, I think, since Clara Barton in the 1880s, but it really got ginned up. I think I'm right about this in World yeah, War One. Yeah, you're absolutely you're right on it, yep. And that's when uh, the the uh, and this is a key point I think when the Congress of the United States uh, gave uh, the Red Cross the, uh, the the uh, the responsibility for doing all of the things that it does a lot of them but but they were they are unfunded and the Red Cross uh, still exists I think on donations and uh, money yes. raised. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? Yeah, you're you're right. We're one of those. When the United States Congress ratified the Geneva Convention, it helped to establish that a, a neutral and impartial Red Cross society, led by civilians and um, supported by volunteerism, needed to exist in the United States. And so we uh, are one of those unfounded mandates of the United States Congress, uh, but we exist to carry out the Geneva Convention treaties and support in our nation, support our nation's uh, military, provide uh, humanitarian law, and then all other services that the American Red Cross and the American people see that we can effectively deliver and that matured into uh, swimming and first aid and CPR uh, right after the war efforts. 
And I'm going to have to stop you now because we're coming up on the point where we have to mark All right, no problem. Mark the half hour. No, no, when we come back, we're going to shift over and at least head in the direction of the American Red Cross and hurricanes and and how it segues with the other stuff we've been talking about. But on News Talk 680 WPTF, it's 930. 934 is the video of WPTF. Tom Kearney here, along with uh, the executive director of the uh, Eastern part of North Carolina's American Red Cross, Mr. Barry Porter, and uh, lots of things uh, changing and added to the responsibilities of the American Red Cross. But with June 1st and hurricane season coming around, in fact, we've already had two named storms, not two named hurricanes, but two named storms, but a prediction that this will be a busy season, I'm sure, the American Red Cross, uh, which uh, uh, has to gin itself up to organize the rescue efforts and the, the protection efforts for Eastern North Carolina at this time has been busy already, and we'll hear about that from Mr. Barry Porter. Barry, the, the hurricanes are coming. Yes, sir, and actually, Tom, we're now up to three named storms as Cristobal. Uh, Cristobal was named a little bit earlier this evening and uh, is uh, destined, it appears, for uh, portions of the Gulf Coast as a tropical storm or maybe a Category 1 storm, so we'll have our third name storm here with the first week of June just going to close on Saturday and Sunday. So we know we have heard those. We know that storms are uh, happening. We've had three out of the past four seasons that a storm has made some landfall with Matthew, Florence, and even Dorian at some portion of eastern North Carolina. And so now you're, you're right. We've got that. And then we have the COVID-19 environment. And how do we... Um, how do we encourage folks to be self-prepared and ready themselves for a hurricane and what they need to do to be um, taking their own steps and meeting their own basic needs of food, shelter, clothing, uh, and uh, med- essential medicine during a pandemic? Uh, it's... Uh sort of fundamental to what often happens along the coast when the hurricanes come in that uh, people are, have to leave their homes and go to some central meeting place, uh, yes. some uh, place like a school or a public building or something like that. And that is the the very situation that the coronavirus uh, operates best in. So you've got to take into consideration whatever moves you make. And it, it seems yes. almost like a, a catch-22. You can't win. Absolutely. You know, and you mentioned earlier that sometimes folks perceive that we're a part of the government uh, because we were declared to exist by the government. We are not. We are a voluntary agency, but we are a, uh, we're not a building on Pear Tree Lane in Raleigh uh, or on uh, Carroll Street in Fayetteville. We're the people in the community, over um, 4,000 volunteers strong in eastern North Carolina who are preparing and working to work with government officials you know, our partners in the Department of uh, Human Services in each county in eastern North Carolina, some wonderful and amazing county emergency managers in each of those areas that are thinking about what is the, what's the protocols, what is going to be the plans, because there are no Red Cross shelters. Like you said, there are schools, there are churches, there are public facilities that get converted into a shelter, and there are two types. Uh, there is that... Um, evacuation shelter where the storm comes and it passes and folks can go back and then there's the long-term shelter but our real concern this time is that 
how are people, if they're not going to evacuate Tom because of fear for the COVID virus, how many people can we put in a congregate shelter and maintain safety and social distancing and wear PPE and take protective actions? All those things are going to have to happen. So it's going to be really important that folks in and close to the areas that have been affected by hurricanes in the past here in North Carolina understand the complexity that COVID-19 will add and to take those preparedness steps now, like learning life-saving skills uh, online through the Red Cross, assembling two types of kits. One is a stay-at-home kit because they decide they're going to ride it out and they're going to get cut off by floodwaters. They're going to have to need everything they can stay home for two weeks. Food, water, household cleaning, disinfectant supplies. So paper products. We know what the run-on paper products has been. Personal hygiene items and prescription medications for one month's supply. And often folks don't think about their need for those products or those medicines until the last pill in the bottle, right? And if you've got a maintenance drug and other things, that's that stay-at-home kit. And then that evacuation kit when authorities say, if you don't leave, your life is at risk. And then you're going to have to figure out, do I have uh, protective gear? Do I have masks? Do I have gloves? Do I have sanitation wipes? So that wherever I'm going, where am I going to go? Let me put one in here. Do you have a way to keep your drugs that need to be refrigerated cold? Yes, correct. You have to remember that some medications require that, and now the power is going to be out. So do you have a uh, a, um, thermos or a, a cooler that you can put? Uh, ice in and things of that nature where you you know um, you're right absolutely it has to be kept cold and then you know you got to travel uh now you have to have face masks and those things then if i'm going to go somewhere where am i going to go what's the plan if i'm going to go stay with a family member or relatives of a distant family or friends are there there are there people there who are at increased risk? You've heard the risk warnings for people over sixty five with you know high blood pressure, diabetes, other conditions. Am I putting them at risk by going to stay with them? What are their alternatives? Because the, there will be congregate shelters. They will be um, will be segmenting people uh, that uh, in those shelters will be giving additional space. We'll have fewer people in a shelter than we the capacity that used to be a you know, a shelter for 200 is going to be limited to 50, uh, and so we're going to we're going to have a significant challenge, uh, and we're going to need the public to play their part so that state emergency management, local emergency management, and the Red Cross volunteer can all keep people as safe as possible and prevent the additional spread of the virus while they're also fleeing and seeking safety from the hurricanes. It's going to test your management skills now. I don't know the answer to this, but I, I want to ask something before we go any further. We had pretty severe hurricane intervention in southeastern North Carolina over the last couple of years, uh, Florence, and I think you mentioned Matthew, which brought a lot of water in towns like Lumberton and uh, uh, and other towns in that area were, were, were challenged. Did the Red Cross have a long-term presence there, or was it something that they dealt with and then moved on and left the... the uh, long-term management to other institutions? You know, it, it depends. Um, the American Red Cross, because it's national presence, can raise money 
significantly when when folks get the attention. And so in Hurricane Florence, since the hurricane, the Red Cross did about $35 million in direct relief during the hurricane, food, clothing, medical care, sheltering, uh, distribution of emergency supplies during uh, about a two-month period. But then the American public gave us money that allowed us to do an additional week. We gave direct financial assistance to families that had their homes major damage or destroyed, as by, defined by the Red Cross and our government partners, FEMA. Uh, another t- almost $20 million in cash to those families. Then we've been partnering, you know, there are great agencies, like you said, that, that others are there. Uh, Green Chair Project, uh, Baptist on Mission, the Salvation Army, United Methodist Committee on Relief have all been partnering with us, and we've spent another almost $10 million buying uh, shingles and drywall and flooring and furniture and things of that nature in partnership with these great partners to help get as many families back into a home as we could and been working on that uh, all since Hurricane Florence because of the generosity of the American people. And so an extra $30 million was... um, provided by the Red Cross to families uh, affected by the hurricane uh, months on, and we're still wrapping up some of those projects, even in the midst of this COVID environment, all because of, you know, when the Red Cross asks for money, we're not just asking for money from eastern North Carolina during a hurricane. We ask for or from Michigan, from uh, Dallas, Texas, from uh, Los Angeles, and it's just amazing to then bring those kind of resources to eastern North Carolina and to the families that were so impacted by these storms, and then extend that reach by reaching out and working with these great partners in United Way, Salvation Army, Green Chair, and and the church organizations that I mentioned. I guess you have uh, uh, offices in most of the uh, county seats of the counties in eastern North Carolina. If I'd always have to ask, I remember when I was a kid, the, the community building in my hometown of Goldsboro, which has since burned down, was where the Red Cross was always located. And I think it's on George Street now, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. It's on George Street right by the railroad tracks. Every time I have a meeting over there with the, the team, uh, there's invariably a train goes by at the, and <laughs> right. during the meetings. And, <laughs> you don't and I'll be, it's, it's, it's easy to explain how to find it, too, if you... Yeah, that's true. What, you go down George Street, you get to the railroad tracks, and there's the Red, there, Red Cross. There right it is, it. exactly. How but, you know, the Red uh, Cross just, uh, is often thought of, Tom, as a building, you know, but it's the people that are uh, the 4,000 volunteers, the, you know, roughly 150,000 different people in our area who uh, roll up their sleeves and give blood. Uh, it's our uh, paid staff that um, are also out there. You know, 90% of our work is... Uh, supported and done by volunteers, but the 10% of the paid staff uh, workforce that's helping to guide and lead and, and uh, make sure the resources are there for those volunteers to do their job. It's a real uh, partnership, uh, and then we work with other agencies in collaborative environment to try to uh, prevent and alleviate as much human suffering in eastern North Carolina each and every day, not just during hurricane season, but you started off this conversation you know, with the single-family fire response that most people think we sit here and wait for the hurricane when we go to about 63,000 house fires a year across America uh, and only only two or three hurricanes. Uh, but the hurricane, of course, can have a bigger impact at once. But those, those families that lose their homes to fires are just as homeless 
as if you're uh, washed away with a hurricane, flood, or winds. Well, so while the, the Red Cross is trying to help people who have been burned out or, or maybe their storm or something has destroyed their facilities, constant organization is going on in the background throughout eastern North Carolina to deal with storms, be they winter or summer. Uh, Barry, Barry Porter of the American Red Cross is filling us in on how all of that is going to come together uh, during this current hurricane season, along with uh, the current—I can't—I'm not going to be able to say this right—coronavirus uh, <laughs> and the the effect that it, is, it has had. We've got about a quarter of the program left, Barry, and uh, when we come back, you mentioned a few things earlier, and you may want to go over them again, or any particular direction that you want to go in. But uh, the things I thought of are the day-to-day things, like swimming lessons and all, all kinds of. Normal things, and I was going to say normal. That's not the right word, but things that you do day in and day out, regardless of the of the weather and what's going on. But let's uh, look at some of those things too when you come back on News Radio 680 WPTF. I'm Kearney with Barry Porter, Eastern North Carolina Executive Director of the American Red Cross for this region talking tonight about some of the preparations made for the hurricane season, which began yesterday, something that happens normally, and the integration of those activities with dealing with the coronavirus, as the Red Cross and other institutions have been having to do. Uh, Barry, uh, we've got about five minutes left, and if, if, there hasn't anybody, if there's anything we haven't had the opportunity to talk about, now's the time to round it up. Well, sure. Uh, one of the things I do want to remind our listening audience is about the uh, hurricane season is that that, that individual uh, preparation because we know that um, we won't have the ability to bring in as many volunteers. Uh, so if they'd love to help, if they feel that they could be a, a positive impact uh, with hurricane season, always consider going to the redcross.org and becoming a volunteer because we are a voluntary organization, Tom. And so I would love to encourage folks to think about, um, hey, if they, if they think they could help with sheltering, with support, because, uh, you know, with the travel restrictions, with the uh, other things that are happening, the closer the home we can, uh, as you said this evening, the, we use the word gen up some volunteers. We've had some great volunteer responses in the middle of this as people have uh, come to us and offered the volunteer to support uh, blood drives and disaster response to single-family fires, and we know it's going to take uh, the proverbial village in this new COVID environment where, We've had, you know, hundreds of volunteers come from all across the country previously, and now it's going to be a sort of a home rule, a home cooking. So encourage folks to think about volunteering. And then, of course, one of the other things you, know, you always ask about is, is you've taken swimming lessons uh, from the Red Cross back in Goldsboro, the community building, and then uh, CPR and first aid. And, and we had to change how we do that. Um, you know, uh, social distancing in classes, but keep in mind, Tom, there are, trained professionals, medical rescuers, uh, doctors, and nurses that still have to maintain their CPR certifications during this time uh, because of legal liability and uh, training requirements. And also, we are still teaching first aid CPR. We've been helping to make sure lifeguards are trained because the governor opened up, you know, pools at uh, half capacity. So there still has to be lifeguards on duty. So the Red Cross is still teaching first aid, CPR, lifeguard uh, uh, certifications, and swim lessons will go on this summer so that uh, we can still enjoy 
being together, uh, even though social distance. So the American Red Cross down the street, across the nation and around the world, making a difference every day. I want to go back and emphasize one thing. Of course, I, I, I'm, you're the, the Red Cross guy. I'm the radio guy, but uh, I also am a, a citizen. And one of the things that I think uh, that you folks really do, and, and the routines, as I was trying to set up, and you agreed with me, I think, earlier, have been shattered a little bit. In fact, the, the normal way the machine works, it isn't working that way because of the travel restrictions that all the things yep. that have to do with Correct. the coronavirus and so on. But blood drives, can you think of where, just what you just off the top of your head, where there is a blood drive in the next few days? Yes, at every Red Cross blood donor center, and there are uh, four in the Triangle area, and there's one in Greenville, North Carolina, also Greensboro. There's one in Wilmington, and then there are four here in the um, uh, Triangle area. You can go to redcross.org. Click on Donate Blood, type in your zip code, and it will tell you where there are blood drives across the area that you can go and give. And we'd love to, if there's a uh, church facility, uh, a building uh, that is uh, vacant or not being used, we have all the protocols and the uh, requirements of the, um, to come in, uh, utilize that space, leave it in a sanitized manner, and we need more locations uh, to host blood drives because many companies have sent their employees home, but the employees can come to us now. We just need more locations, Tom. So anyone who'd like to sponsor a blood drive, a church, a Masonic Lodge, a, uh, a community building, uh, give us a, a call uh, or send us an email through redcross.org, and we would love to host the blood drive. And you can find the nearest blood drive by going to redcrossblood.org, type in your zip code, and it'll tell you the 8 to 10 blood drives throughout the area that we have almost daily to help uh, keep hospitals supplied. Barry Porter, stay in touch. We always enjoy when you come. Uh, uh, and uh, we, we th- I think we've really had a good good program tonight about some things that people need to know about and, and to consider helping wherever possible. And thanks so much for being with us. And we'll be talking to you along the way, okay? That would be great. Thanks, Tom. Stay healthy thanks, and Barry. stay safe. Bye-bye. Barry, Barry Porter, Executive Director of the Eastern North Carolina Area just about the eastern half of the state of the American Red Cross on News Radio 680 WPTF.